Rob Thompson, Sports Biz Radio. This is Game Plan U today. We are live on LinkedIn and on Facebook Live as well, or Facebook Live <laughs> as well. Um, this is our Monday edition, six o'clock. We're six ish, a little bit. Uh, Lloyd Danzig. Did I get that name right? Yeah, Danzig. See, I, I got it right. I'm, I'm like two for two Close this enough. week. <laughs> All right, I'm close enough. Uh, Lloyd, you're the founder CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors, right? And you're also the founder of Iced AI. Is there you anything that. else that I'm missing? Uh, those are uh, the two main ways I spend my time. I'm also the yeah. co-chairman of the CompTIA AI Advisory Council, which is a collection of 20 or so of the leading thought leaders in the artificial intelligence space. And we put together uh, white papers on best practices for using and deploying artificial intelligence uh, and things like that. But, uh, yep, you, you nailed it. Those, those are those are my big two. Yeah, so you're a busy guy. So you're in big right now, and your focus on the AI side is obviously uh, pretty intensive. But then as an advisor in the startup space, um, what led you down that path? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, any of my friends who've known me for a while know I've been an entrepreneur uh, for, for a while. I don't know if I really knew that what I had in me was entrepreneurship when I was young, you know my family would come over for holidays and I would sell them rocks that I found in the backyard and I'd organize them in different categories and they'd think it was so cute. I was, you know, five years old and I just, from a young age, I thought it was so cool to have a little bit of my own money. That was just like the coolest thing. If I could buy my own sandwich in the lunchroom without having to ask my mom when I was, you know, seven, like, that was the coolest thing. And I think that just started me, you know, I grew up in, in the nineties as, as the internet was getting big, as eBay, PayPal were getting big, all these ways that you could make a few extra bucks kind of from your room. Uh, and I think there was an entrepreneurial spirit in me that, that always was doing things here or there. I, 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 I studied and, and indulged that a bit in, in my undergrad and also my, my postgraduate studies. And uh, ultimately for me, I, I think it's, uh, a matter of opportunity and passion that happened to be uh, sort of coalescing at, at this time when sports betting is now being legalized, the growth of esports and, and, and video gaming infrastructure on the enterprise scale. Uh, so I feel sometimes that my career looks like it's a career in retrospect only. Uh, at the time, it was sort of a bunch of stressful, emotional roller coasters haphazard decisions that may or may not turn out well and kind of cobble that together into something that looks like a narrative if I'm pitching myself in, in an interview. <laughs> well, what was that deciding factor for you? When did you have that moment of, you know, really understanding who you are, you know, in your career of these things, you start kind of, you go down these roads and you hit a block, you hit another block. What was that self-awareness moment for you that you just said, this is what I really love to do? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Uh, so I think in terms of entrepreneurship in general, you know, my friends have always teased me that, you know, I don't deal well with authority. I don't like taking directions <laughs> from other people. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I get genuinely angry when I see inefficiencies that are going unresolved. So some of the general entrepreneurship is just 
you know, a, a constant force that permeates everything I do. But I've done a number of different entrepreneurial ventures. I had a bachelor party planning service for a while. I had a service where I helped people write wedding speeches, I, I, I little things, odds and ends. And what made me kind of go all in on this? And, and I'll tell you, you know, I think it was that. And I'm sure anyone of your listeners who can identify this will know exactly what I'm talking about is, you know, when that saying never, you know, find a job doing something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. When that truly makes sense, when, when internally you start finding that you're doing something that other people seem to value and be willing to pay you for, even though you feel like you would do it for free, that it is so enjoyable that the fact that you got on the phone call, even if it didn't result in commercial opportunities, is value in and of itself. Uh, I, I think once you find yourself in that situation, or at least for me, once I did, uh, that was when I realized this is something to go all in on. Because I think especially uh, if you found a company by yourself, if you don't have a co-founder, uh, it's hard to maintain motivation. And I think a lot of people in the current uh, quarantine state who never had to work at home for long periods of time are starting to realize how difficult it can be to stay motivated when you have your Netflix and your PlayStation and your husband, your wife, your kids all around you. Uh, and to me, it's it was a matter of finding something that I genuinely would enjoy doing as a leisure activity. And I think sometimes uh, people who hear that, oh, if you want to be an entrepreneur, get ready to work X hours a week. If you want to raise money, get ready to be rejected by this percentage, get, get ignored by this percentage of people. I think when people hear that and get uh, intimidated, it's not necessarily because they don't have entrepreneurship in them. It's because they haven't found the right industry or topic or product to focus it on. Um, and that, you know, I love numbers. I worked on Wall Street for a while. I worked at BlackRock as great of a firm as there is. And I have nothing but the highest things to say about it. But I am not deeply passionate about institutional asset management. I, I just am not. And so it didn't feel uh, the same. So so to answer your question to me, it was the realization that I was doing something that I would enjoy as a leisure activity almost every, over almost anything else and recognizing that there seems to be some value and way to commoditize or monetize that. So talk a little about what, by the way, we're, we're taking texts. So if you want to text me at 518-867-1117, if you're watching this, which you are um, out there, um, just text me any questions with the first name and I'll throw them over to Lloyd. So we do have one that came up. So talk about, this is from no first name, but this is a, here's a question for you. So okay. what was your, what was your biggest challenge that you had with your business and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think I'd have to say that it's probably what we're going through right now. Uh, if you're a sports betting startup, a lot of this is probably going to apply to any startup. But if you are a startup right now, uh, you've already been having trouble raising money. If I, if you had a plan to prove your, your concept, prove your product market fit, uh, by way of some event that has now been canceled uh, or postponed, like March Madness or the Masters, uh, you certainly are in trouble. And if you have a situation where people are pulling capital, investment, venture capital off the table, uh, I've had a ton of calls with investors recently. It's pretty much all I've been doing. And there's a there's quite a split 
Some people are ready to gobble up undervalued assets. David Tepper was on CNBC today saying he's starting to nibble, although that was a reference to the private, uh, to the public markets. Other people think the sky is falling. They're putting all their cash under the table in, in their mattresses. Uh, but, but that just means it's, it's really tough. And so for me right now, you know, trying to figure out what is a good use of time, uh, what is a good use of energy, how to not only keep myself motivated, but clients whom I'm guiding through the fundraising process where you're going to get probably 99 out of 100 emails and LinkedIn messages don't even get answered right now because people are so busy. You know, that is a challenging place to be in. Uh, for me, it's all about stepping back uh, and sort of looking at things in terms of what will give me or people I'm advising the most valuable return on their time invested. You know, I think people too frequently look in terms at ROI in terms of dollars, but looking in terms of time invested, I see right now, uh, if you are a startup and you were not expecting to have revenues uh, at this point, because that's where you were in your life cycle, and you compare yourself to the incumbent players in the industry that you are trying to disrupt, because presumably that's what you're trying to do as a startup. Well, unfortunately, those big players, they are in survival mode right now. They have to figure out how they're going to make payroll, how whose health benefits are going to continue, uh, how are they going to pay their taxes. Um, and they were expecting revenues to be coming in to pay for all those things. So, so they're really, really struggling and they're kind of on pause. You as a startup have the opportunity to innovate and be nimble and continue developing your product so that when it's ready to go to market, when things come out of this sort of paused mode that we are in, you are ready to disrupt but you are that much further along in your innovation or your uh, customer acquisition strategy or, or what it is. So, you know, that was a very specific thing for me. The question was, you know, what is the greatest challenge that you faced in your business and how did you overcome it? And I'd say the generic answer that fits probably any of the problems I've faced, major problems in different businesses and overcoming them is stepping back, reframing the problem. You know, you hear engineers, Elon Musk talk about first principles thinking, figuring out, okay, what is really the most important thing I need to accomplish here? What are the most important means that I need to accomplish that? And how am I maximizing the return on time investment given all that exists? And what I would say as a final note on this is you hear venture capitalists and private investors talk all the time about how they don't invest in ideas, they invest in people. And that may seem like an overstated comment, but it's not, and it's for good reason. You can't name one company, particularly in tech, that has the same product on their IPO day as in their original pitch deck. You know, Facebook never used to have ads and Netflix used to have DVDs that got delivered to your house that wouldn't be replaced until you put a DVD in the mail and sent it back to their headquarters. Uh, and that means that when you're in the pre-seed, seed, even series A stages, you're getting an investment from someone who thinks you have a good idea, but more importantly, believes in your and your executive team's ability to take in new, you know, signals from the market, whether those be global pandemic or otherwise, and adjust and guide and steward your company through in order to give them a return on investment. And right now, what does that mean? It means adapting and figuring out how to get the, the most out of your time when other people might be losing a bit of motivation, losing a bit of their productivity, uh, and failing to, you know, capitalize on all this sort of extra time that people find themselves with.
Well, you talked a little bit about um, just that downtime that you do have while you're scrambling, looking for funding or just kind of paying your bills. Uh, you mentioned this before. Now is a time when everybody's focused and looking at their LinkedIn and looking at the social media channels um, to build the network up, you know, and what, what, what kind of advice would you give about doing that at this moment? So these next two weeks, what would you, what advice would you give to a startup on focusing on bu- building up their network? Yeah. So I would say that as bad of a time as this is for generating revenue, it is equally, if not better of a time for building your own personal brand and your Rolodex and relationships. People are around, people are available, people are happy to talk and share wisdom. Uh, If you want to get on calls with people who start by saying, I was there in 72, I was there in 87, I was there during 9-11, I was there during the financial crisis, and here's how this compares, uh, this is the time to get on those calls. Um, Cold call emails, cold LinkedIn, cold cold messages, absolutely. Um, To layer onto that, something that I would say no matter what, you know, there's a great adage in, and this goes across fundraising, uh, it goes something like, uh, ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money twice. And what it generally means is that for any number of hours, given a sufficient sample size uh, that you're going to spend fundraising, if you spend all of those hours reaching out to people saying, hey, I would love your thoughts on my startup, as opposed to, hey, I would love your money to fund my startup, that on average over the long term, again, just this, this is just clean numbers for the sake of the adage, that you would raise twice as much money by asking for advice as for actually asking for money. And whether that coefficient is two or three or 1.5 doesn't really matter, but it refers to a very true fact that first of all, people don't like being sold to, people don't like feeling like you, collective you, are trying to convince them of something whether that's investing in a company, buying you know, uh, some pay-per-view uh, boxing match, anything in, that someone has to be convinced of by a pitch, advertising or otherwise, is seen as a confrontation, as an adversarial relationship almost. Uh, not to mention that a lot of the people you speak to, the majority of people you speak to, probably were never going to invest anyway. Just anyone who has tried to raise money knows how low the hit rate is uh, on, on capital raising. And so when you go into conversations with people and and you're just asking them for advice, if you have a really good pitch, they should come to the conclusion that they want to invest anyway. And if they weren't going to, well, the fact that you were asking for advice in the first place probably makes them more likely to say, oh, I have a friend who would be perfect for this. Now, the thing is that applying this just sort of robotically and artificially doesn't really work. You have to, I think, really get yourself into the mindset, genuinely believe that seeking advice is valuable and see a capital raise as a byproduct. You you know, doing it disingenuously is not going to help anyone. If you come across as someone who is clearly pretending to ask for advice as a ways to raise money, that's not going to work. And I think the best way to come across as genuine is by being genuine. So when you layer those two things on, I think this has to be the best time ever that I can remember in recent memory to reach out to people in your industry, whether that's an investor, whether that's someone who has reached a level of success you wish to replicate and say, hey, would love to get your advice on blank during this time. Uh, I have to think that there is such a great chance of getting some real valuable conversations out of a very simple, but again, genuine uh, advice seeking message like that.
Yeah, I love it. That's great advice. Um, all right. You ready for some questions, some more questions? Let's do it. All right. So this is from Phil Grande, owner of New England Rake. Um, Lloyd, how many employees do you have? And are you stewarding your company through this while retaining them for the long run? Or if you don't want to answer it that way, what else, what advice would you give uh, for this question? If you can apply it to another business? Yeah, sure. So I, I think that it, it would, you know, I have a, a kind of very unique boutique advisory firm that has a sort of unique compensation structure that likely would make my particular answer not helpful. But to answer, uh, uh, helpful, just just generally, something people are, are questioning right now is, what do I do uh, with, with my employees? And I, I think it's an interesting thing that you're asking for right now. I believe Trump is on TV as we speak. Uh, discussing, you know, whether this stimulus package is going to pass and and if so, what it's going to, you know, uh, contain. And it seems likely that whatever package passes, hopefully will get passed this week, hopefully very soon, and that there will be some sort of business continuity insurance or grants or loans to small businesses where the loan turns into a grant that doesn't need to be repaid if you go X number of weeks or months and keep 100% or close to 100% of your staff. So certainly it seems that there is some hope on the horizon for some actual, you know, federally provided sanctioned relief for small businesses that are uh, keeping employees on board. Now that said, we are at a time where forward-looking statements that do anything other than put a dollar in one's pocket now and today are unfortunately for some not that helpful and, and for some it might even be too late. Uh, so I, I would say this, I would say I think first of all now, whether it's with employees or with customers, is a time where an incredible amount of goodwill uh, can be built up. Being flexible and helping those who either make your business great or patronize your business uh, to the extent that, it, that, that you can afford it. Uh, this is is such a, an incredible time for that. You will acquire and retain customers and dedicated employees for life if there are reasonable sacrifices that can be made uh, for their well-being. That said, if your business is going to go bankrupt by paying their salary over a time when revenues are not coming in, such that when life unpauses, you do not emerge in any sense and cannot continue paying their salaries, well, certainly, even if people are emotionally distraught right now, they would rather 10 years of paychecks that start six months from now than six months of paychecks and no way to make a living. So this is such a difficult question. And I've seen so many good, good people who built businesses from the ground up just be devastated that they, they can't afford to keep certain employees on. And my feeling is, to any extent that employees can be kept on, that customers can be kept happy and accommodated and refunded, that employees can have health costs taken care of. I think not only from a socially good perspective, but from an economic perspective, the return on that over the long run will be incredible by way of enhanced loyalty and retention. But that said, there is a reality. People need to put themselves and their families uh, first and foremost. and. If a business simply cannot survive, uh, that doesn't do anybody, uh, including the employees, any good. I wish I had a better answer, but unfortunately, I think that's where we are. 
No, I think that was pretty strong. So uh, from Kevin Wilson, he wants you to go back and give that. It, it was a great quote, too. I wish I wrote it down. Ask for money. Get yes. advice. Get, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's ask for money. Get advice. Ask for advice. Get money twice. Uh, and again, the idea being that over the long run, you'll raise twice as much money by, you know, trying to ask for advice than by asking for money with the caveat being that you have to kind of genuinely value these advice gathering conversations. When I reach out to people, uh, VCs and private investors and say, hey, would love to get a sense of your thoughts on, you know, venture investing during a time like this. I genuinely want to hear those thoughts. I am genuinely excited. And if I have that call and it results in no further opportunities, but I get some insight, I will be perfectly satisfied and see that as, you know, a good data point that I incorporate into future discussions. And I would imagine that that permeates the way that I speak, that other people can kind of tell when you're just not interested in what they have to say. Uh, and, and so, again, I, I'd like to make clear that this is not meant to be a, a suggestion at being manipulative and disingenuous and pretending to seek advice, but rather to see that seeking advice in and of itself for its own inherent value uh, also involves delaying gratification, which I feel humans by nature are not very good at, uh, can result in uh, not only the best things for the current capital raise that you're you're engaging in, but also keep in mind subsequent capital raises. Similar to the way you don't want to burn bridges because you never know who you have to call on. The more people who think highly of you, not only as a salesperson, but as a person, as a human being, uh, certainly the larger your Rolodex will be for subsequent fundraisers. What do you see ha happening? Uh, I'm just going to spitfire you some questions here. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no problem. Um, what do you see happening with the with the economy in the next four to six weeks? <sighs> yeah, uh, I, I think that I'll give the disclaimer that these are guesses at, at best from one person that anyone who tells you they know with certainty what's going to happen at the least is not giving enough information. Uh, proper respect to randomness and stochastic events and things that are unforeseen, not to mention probably being a little too confident. You know, there is such a lack of certainty as to the reality of the data and the statistics and the case fatality rate in this place versus that place that it is really very difficult. Um, you would think that in general, there has to be some level where if we look at the stock market, the stock market is like this public scoreboard that everyone can look at to see just how bad things are on a given day. And they've been as bad as ever, you know, quantifiably as bad as ever in recent weeks. Um, certainly some stocks, you know, we're talking about small businesses that can't necessarily weather the storm and have to decide whether to keep the lights on or play, pay employees. Apple, Microsoft, Disney, Walmart are likely not in that category. There seems to be a very small, if any, chance that they don't emerge from this whenever it is. They have tons of cash and tons of inventory and resources and insurance that they'll, you know, go back to business as usual, depending on how quickly demand uh, kind of resurfaces. So it would seem that at some point, 
Apple stock cannot trade that cheap. It, it pays a dividend. You know, there are dividend paying stocks, uh, Blackstone, for example, that has tons of cash and similar to Berkshire Hathaway is going to be able to get incredible deals with free warrants and options on, on you know, assets that they pick up. Those stocks are going to have to start getting bought at, at some point, one would think. One would also think that, you know, uh, what the government announced today, there's a lot of liquidity being added to the fixed income market, not only treasuries, but, uh, you know, other types of, of fixed income securities as well, which is good. Some people were concerned that early government stimulus plans in, in this pandemic uh, were too much faced on treasuries. But that said, you know, nothing is kind of functioning in an, in a sensible uh, manner over any period of time. Uh, you'd say, well, I can't imagine the stock market doing X, Y, and Z barring an unforeseen event, but we're already in an unforeseen event. And I think that's why it's so hard to predict. Uh, that said, you know, I think we need to see and understand what percentage of people who contract the virus actually get symptoms above a certain threshold. You know, for all we know, 80 million Americans could have coronavirus right now and the number who are symptomatic is the maximum or something much very much opposite that could be the case and the number of people who become symptomatic as a percentage of those who contract the virus is going to be uh much higher um so you know i think that hopefully we'll get not only clarity as to what the government stimulus is uh but perhaps some more focused and streamlined messaging from government leadership uh, and that will help give clarity. Um, all that said, I don't think it's impossible that there is real lasting impact uh, you know, on the economy from this, or certainly that it takes far longer to rebound uh, than it took to fall off. You've been hearing people talking about a V-shaped uh, sort of demand curve where demand goes down sharply, but then uh, rebounds up in, in equal proportion. Uh, and my guess is that that's going to be specific to different industries and that the way things are handled over the coming days, you know, the way that uh, the government supplies emergency capital uh, to airlines, hotels, casinos, cruise ships, you know, I think to a lot of people, there's just a financial jargon being thrown around on NBC or on CNBC. But, you know, whether the government issues a line of credit versus takes an equity stake in an airline uh, or a bunch of airlines, that has a real impact on, you know, the long term sort of uh, rebound rate that our economy is able to have. There is no question to me that there will be opportunities, that there are opportunities, that there will be plenty of people who take this time, take the opportunity, get back in the swing of things and are up, you know, back at it better than ever, stronger than before. Uh, there are certainly some who, whose lives will be permanently derailed, similar to the way you hear some talk about 9-11, Hurricane Katrina and the like. And what I'm very unsure of, and I think anyone who's honest is unsure of, is uh, what percentages of the population will kind of fall into those buckets and how they'll be scattered between them. Yeah, well, that was a good one. I, it's almost like you have a script. You just spit it right out. It's like it's like I gave this to you. All right. So la last question. This is from Kevin sure. Wilson again. So uh, he wants to know, uh, would you advise starting a business while you're still working full time, a full time job? Or would you plan to go all in on your business? Yeah. So I think the question there 
depends on what you mean by the word start the business. You know, at what point in the business's life cycle do you consider it started? Certainly there are things that can be done to the best that one would want them done while pursuing a full-time job. For example, in the early stages when you need to research what will your name be, your mission, vision, vision and values, what will your logo look like, or what might uh, your, you know, uh, go-to-market strategy be, or, you know, the basic things, how much money might you want to raise, what is your value proposition going to be, what might some wireframes look like for the app or the website you're building. Uh, these are certainly things that you can and probably should do uh, while you still have the security and the the of the income and the benefits that a full-time job offers, especially at a time like now when who knows how difficult it will be to get another job. You know, if you're a very strong job candidate in a very strong job market and feel that you can quit your job, take off for six months and easily hop back in without losing much by way of total compensation, that's one story, but I highly doubt too many people feel like that right now. So what I would imagine, you know, again, depending on the level of savings, uh, how intensive the full-time job is, how much attention that job requires uh, during the day, how tired, you know, you are uh, at night in whatever free time you have available to start this business. But if you can get together, you know, a pitch deck, uh, even if it just has wireframes and, you know, empty links to a website that's a domain name that you haven't actually bought yet. But just to get to the point where you say to yourself, all right, I know about what my roadmap is going to be. I know who I'm going to have to hire, how much money I'm going to have to raise. Maybe I'm going to have to hire someone to tell me how much money I'm going to have to raise. Uh, whatever the case is, there has to be a base foundation level of work that not only can be done when you have a full-time job, but perhaps should be, especially if it's your first entrepreneurial venture, because, you know, rather than going all in on this new venture before you have the proper amount of information, getting it to the point where maybe you could put together a one-page PDF. Here's the business I'm starting. Here's how much money I need. Here's why it would be a good investment for you. You could get a little feedback from some of your friends or from some people in the industry. You could reach out on LinkedIn to people who have had success and see if they have any thoughts. Uh, and then if it seems like, okay, I understand what the cost benefit analysis for the time spent on this business looks like. I know exactly what my life will be like over the next six months if I pursue this business, how I'll be spending my time, what that might look like for me emotionally, economically, uh, in my personal life, socially. Uh, and this is this is good to go, but the only way I can make this work is if I'm working 80 hours a week on it. Well, then that's when you jump in. Because perhaps you reach that point and say, well, I realized I can get a minimum viable product up and into the app store with just 11 hours approximately of work a week. And I have 11 hours of free time a week, even with my full-time job. Now, maybe I don't have to go all in uh, until my product is at phase two. So I think the, the, the short, succinct version of that is do absolutely as much work as can be done while still at your full-time job, as long as that work is not being compromised in its quality by not having a hundred percent of the attention and energy uh, and motivation put into it. There are certainly some things like giving a pitch 
like making cold calls where if you don't have that real motivation, it's probably going to be hard to replicate. But in the early days, getting a minimum viable product up, getting a pitch deck together, getting wireframes, uh, I'd say all that stuff uh, to the extent that you can while you still have the security uh, would be prudent. I 100% I agree with you on that one. Also, I think it's also to get to the point where you're looking for some funding and some investment dollars at that point, I think it's really critical to make the decision. Investors are going to want to see you um, all in anyways at that point. So up yeah, until there's then. No, yeah, there's no question about it. I'd say certainly uh, one, you know, there, I know a number of investors who, who absolutely will not even consider an investment if the key principle doesn't have sweat equity as well as, you know, real skin in the game. And whether that's their own cash invested or simply a almost desperate reliance on success in order to keep the lights on, you know, you think about who you're soliciting money from, especially in an environment like this, they probably get asked all the time. They probably see offering memorandum all day and have a ton of opportunities. And you think that your idea is really cool and special and that there's no way you're going to let it fail. But so does everyone else who is sending them these term sheets, uh, sorry, these offering memorandums, you know, what is going to set yours apart? Uh, well, certainly something that would set yours apart in a bad way is if the prospective investor feels like you don't have sufficient motivation to make this business successful at all costs. And there's a just as good business opportunity with a founder who does. Uh, that's going to make it tough. So I think that's absolutely spot on. Awesome. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for your time. Um, we had some great questions tonight. You, you really made an impact on, you gave some great advice, um, pieces of, of gold nuggets that you threw out there today to these folks for free, for free, for free. too, by the way. For free, by the way. Um, so you're the founder CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, anyone can, you know, uh, Google my name. Uh, the fortunate thing about having a slightly uh, strange first name, which may have gotten me teased as a kid, is I have great SEO these days. You can find me very easily. <laughs> uh, also, Twitter, LinkedIn. I, I, I always respond if you write me a personal message, especially mention, you know, Rob Thompson or Game Plan U. Uh, be happy to get back to anyone who wants uh, a more candid and personal uh, discussion of this type. Awesome. Well, we're going to have you back on. That's for sure. I mean, this was a fa fantastic uh, interview. We, you're just a really bright, smart guy and a good guy on top of it all. So thanks for uh, providing so much value to, uh, to our followers here. So I appreciate that, Lloyd. All right. Really appreciate it, Rob. You have a great night and stay safe. Uh, you too. That's Lloyd. I'm Rob. You're watching uh, Game Plan You today on Sports Biz Radio. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. Thanks a lot.